This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're out to answer this question, what's keeping insurers up at night? To help us find out, we're joined by Mike Siegel, Global Head of Insurance Asset Management Business within Goldman Sachs Asset Management, or GSAM. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. It's good to have you back. So before we dive in, give us some numbers. What are the top three numbers our listeners need to know by the time they finish this episode? 13, 84, and 2. 13 trillion, that's the amount of assets that the companies that responded to the survey are currently managing. It's over 50% of the global industry's asset base. 84%, that's the percentage of companies that responded that think we're going to see a recession within the next three years. But only 2% think that we're going to see it this year. So they see recession coming, and that's influencing a lot of their investment decisions. They just don't see it this year. Okay, so this survey that you do every year in the insurance industry, you published it very recently. What are you trying to learn when you do this survey of this industry and the asset management? Well, investing is a core part of the industry. It's half of their business. One half is writing insurance policies. The other half is taking the premium and investing those policies. So they need to have a view as to where the economy is going. They need to have a view of markets, of risks. And it's very important to develop those views. And quite frankly, companies are looking what other companies are doing because they're in direct competition. Okay. So why do you care in particular about what insurers think about the market conditions? Because a lot of people have views on market conditions. Why do insurers matter? And what can we learn from their perspective that's different from some of the other big clients here at the firm, hedge funds, mutual funds, et cetera? Well, the companies, when they write policies, they take in cash. So whether they're writing a auto policy, a homeowner's policy, an apartment policy, whether they're writing a policy to protect against this building, the cash comes in. They simply can't sit. They must invest. So it becomes a question where to invest. These companies, though, have a different perspective than most of the other investors in the world. Longer cycle? They have to put the money to work, and indeed, they have to put it to work on a longer-term basis. A hedge fund could sit on their hands. Individuals could decide to sit in cash or money market funds. These companies need to get a return in order to make their claims payments. And so they have to have views as where the economy is, how are markets valued, where are risks, Where should they be putting their capital to work? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what they think. Where do insurers think we are in the credit cycle and where we are in the macroeconomic picture? Well, they definitely think that we are late cycle in that the risks are increasing to investing. At the same time, all the markets that we're looking at in terms of equities are at all-time highs. Read that as expensive. Interest rates in most of the world are low. Read that as bond yields or bond returns are low. Having said that, they need to put the capital to work. They are increasingly of the view that we're late stage in the economic cycle, be it the U.S., be it Europe, be it China. We're late stage in the credit cycle. So they are looking to go into higher quality assets. So in terms of fixed income, they're moving into higher grade corporate bonds. They're also moving into private markets where the terms and conditions on private credit are better. Having said that, though, they are not backing away from the markets. The the industry is extremely well capitalized and needs to put that capital to work. 
Okay, so last fall, it looked like we'd have continually rising interest rates, but obviously the Fed's backed off some. How do they think about a rising rate environment and the prospects for inflation? Oddly enough, the companies would prefer rates to rise and rates to rise slowly because they constantly have cash to put to work, as I referenced before, the insurance premiums, plus they have monies coming off of bonds, they have dividend payments. So if they could put that to work at higher and higher interest rates, that's better for the business. For them, that's a benign environment. A slow rise in rates is a benign environment, but that's not what they see. This year, they think that rates are going to be stable, and as a result, they are starting to lengthen their bond portfolio durations. Right. And so what did most of these folks think the Fed will do in the near term and, and medium term? We surveyed exactly that question. They think that we're good for one more rate rise by the Federal Reserve, and that's it. One more this year. One more this year. Okay. You mentioned China and, and Europe, too. How do they think about growth globally, and are they concerned about slowdowns in China and Europe right now? We ask, what are the greatest macroeconomic concerns that you have? The top three, slowdown in the U.S., slowdown in Europe, slowdown in China. And the slowdown in these markets would have implications about credit quality and equity values. One topic that we've spent some time on here, we talked to Richard Manley from Goldman Sachs Research about ESG investing. What does the insurance sector think about ESG investing? Are they moving in that direction slowly, moderate pace? Is it catching hold there or is it just not something that's on their radar? It's absolutely catching hold and it's picking up pace. We've been surveying on that question and each year more and more companies around the world indicate that it's becoming an important factor in their investing. Now, there's a number of reasons for this, but I would say it boils down simply the companies, their employees, and their clients think it's good stewardship, and it's something they should be doing. And so it is becoming embedded in the way the companies think, the way they operate, and it's being embedded in the way they invest. Are they looking for ESG funds, or are they just trying to take a portion of their portfolio and put it in sort of impact or sustainable investing, or is it just more of a mixed bag? Well, I would say first it starts with policy. Oftentimes, if you take a look at the annual reports of the public companies, you'll have a statement by the CEO that talks about the importance of sustainability, about ESG, about social matters, governance matters. So that's the first thing. They announce to the marketplace, to their clients, to their employees, this is important to us. Then effort translates down into policy. It becomes a question of how to implement. Some of this is how do I measure these things? And we and members of the industry are coming up with metrics to measure environmental social governance issues. After that, it's starting to publish those metrics. And then, Jake, as you mentioned, actually making implementations in the investment portfolio to make sure that these investments take ESG into consideration, if not going one step further and investing specifically in ESG funds and then maybe going one step further and looking at impact investing. Okay. Any other results from the survey that you'd want to highlight? I mean, obviously, you do the survey every year, and you pick up different kinds of feedback from year to year. What stood out as being most similar or, or different from other years? It was the dramatic amount of shift that we had going from a benign investing environment to late stage. There was a dramatic shift in lower inflation concerns, which are now translating into stability in rates and therefore longer-term investing. But the other thing that continued to catch our eye is the dramatic move towards private equity and private credit. 
And part of the reason is a view that these markets still have more room to run. Also a view that the industry has a lot of liquidity and they're able to put it to work in less liquid, longer dated assets. And it's one of the few advantages they have in investing over all other market participants. Are you seeing that shift in allocations or is that just sentiment at the moment? Well, it's sentiment, but it translates into allocations. Yeah. For sure. Personally, for you, what was the most surprising result in the survey? I'd have to say the dramatic shift that we are in the final stage of the credit cycle. Usually, these shifts that we see edge out and change slowly over time. That was one of the bigger surprises. The other surprise was the dramatic interest in fintech and insuretech. And this is a couple of different reasons. One is, are these good investment opportunities for companies to put their capital in? Also, is it a way to learn about what's going on in the markets? But also, it's a competitive requirement now that they need to be leading edge in terms of the deployment of technology. Otherwise, they're the ones that are going to get disrupted. And this is a sector that has not really been disrupted to date, but is there a lot of interest in some of the upstarts? Well, I might disagree. It may not be upstarts new to the industry, of which there are a few, but many of the companies in the industry are using technology as a tool to improve the efficiency of their operations, lower their premiums, and therefore create a competitive advantage against other firms in the industry. Okay. So you've followed the industry for a long time and been doing the survey for a while. Obviously, a lot of sectors have been disrupted by technology. and You mentioned there's more interest now in insurer tech. How does the insurance industry think about disruption in its own industry? Well, Jake, part of it's offensive, part of it's defensive. Offensive, how can they utilize technology in their own business to improve their underwriting, to improve their operations, their risk management, to improve their access to clients? So that's the offensive part, and there are companies that are definitely both startups and major players in the industry that are putting technology to work to improve their operations, reduce their costs, reduce the premiums they're charging, and take market share. That's the offensive side. Clearly, for others in the industry, they need to be concerned about that. But there's another aspect to that, which is their investment portfolio. How is disruption affecting the investment portfolio? They need to have an understanding of which industries are subject to disruption, and then within those industries, which companies are subject to disruption. As we mentioned earlier, these companies tend to be long-term investors. A one-year window is not that important, but they're putting money out out to 30 years and beyond. They need to have a view as to will those industries and those companies still be around in 30 years. So, Mike, you joined Goldman Sachs back in 1986 and then rejoined in the year 2000 and have been here ever since. Explain uh, your career trajectory to us and how did you end up leading insurance at GSAM? Well, Jake, I don't think we have enough time on the podcast (laughs) for me to start from 1986, but let's say I was here, started in 1986, went through a number of different markets. I then left in 1996 to go to work for a reinsurance company. I was there for four years and was fortunate enough to come back and have been in a number of different areas of the firm. Back in 2011, eight years ago now, I was asked to take the knowledge of the insurance industry plus all of my market knowledge and head our insurance asset management business. Watching this survey year after year, you get a sense of how predictive it is about the future. Does this help you determine where insurers are going to be putting money to work or is it more a reflection of what's already happened? 
there's a couple of different aspects to the predictive nature. One, we ask their views on markets, and generally they've been right directionally. They've had a view for the last several years now that equity markets are going to continue to rise, and indeed that's been the case. They have had a view that long-term interest rates are going to rise modestly, and modestly is the right answer to that. In terms of predictive as far as asset allocation is concerned, yeah, indeed, it's a very timely survey, and they're looking at the snapshot of today and what they're going to do for the next year. And generally, the direction of what they're looking to invest in has played itself out. For the last several years now, it's been a movement from public asset classes to private asset classes. It's been a movement from public equity to private equity. And indeed, we've seen those actual flows taking place. So time to end the episode by recapping one question. In one minute or less, what's keeping insurers up at night? Given their views as to where we are in the cycle and given their views that the market levels are high in equities and yields are low, where do they safely deploy their capital in order to get a decent return? All right. Well, Mike, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us again next time. This podcast was recorded on April 26, 2019. The views and opinions expressed herein should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities, and such views and opinions may differ from those of Goldman Sachs Global Investment Research or other departments or divisions of Goldman Sachs and its affiliates. This information may not be current, and Goldman Sachs has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. In addition, The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Goldman Sachs entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity. No part of this podcast may, without GSAM's prior written consent, be reproduced, redistributed, published, copied, or duplicated in any form by any means.